Hey, welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We talked to Senator Mike Lee, and we'll play that interview here uh, in just a few minutes. I want to present to you here the beginning of the second hour where we played some highlights from about an hour and a half conversation with Brett Weinstein and Tucker Carlson. We do a lot of promotion in it in the beginning here, so I'm not going to repeat myself, but I, I think this gives a new light, to me at least, on what is really at stake here and what this is. It's not poor person from Venezuela coming here. Maybe there's some of that. But it's also something much more, particularly China. Here it is. So uh, this Senate deal is a big deal what's happening right now. And uh, I have great confidence that not only will it not pass, but there will be there will be consequences for having even put it forward. We're going to talk to Senator Mike Lee coming up in an hour, and I'm going to ask him if it's time for a change in leadership over this. That's how bad this thing is. The front of Breitbart.com right now has a story about how Mitch McConnell and, and Lankford, the senator from Oklahoma, they, they may vote against their own bill. The, 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 the backlash has been so strong against this monstrosity that they may vote against their own bill. So listen, these guys got to go. Now, Mitch McConnell has had two strokes live on TV that we already know about. So you'd think that would have been enough of a sign that maybe it's a time for a change in leadership. Apparently it wasn't. Okay, fine. I think this, this should be it. So we'll talk to the senator about that coming up in, in an hour. All right, uh, we have to do this, and it's and it's uh, this is very important. If we're going to be against this immigration bill, we need to know, we need to really know what's going on at our border and south of our border. We need to know what the threat really is, so that we can properly meet the moment. Because if you, if you don't really understand what, what, what's going on at our border, then you get the, you get the Sylvias, like we talked about uh, after the New Hampshire primary. You get the Sylvias who are like, oh, well, you know, it's something, and we should do something, and, and I, I like, we, we like the poor huddle mass, all that stuff, right? But that, that's if you, should, if you don't know what's really happening. If you know what's happening, you would never allow any like this bill, but like nothing even close to this. Like you, you understand how important this is because this is not uh, your grandma Sylvia's immigration. It's much, much more. So here's the deal: Tucker Carlson did an interview with Brett Weinstein. Brett Weinstein is a uh, evolutionary biologist. Uh, if you don't know Brett, he uh, he's like he's in with Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. He's in kind of that crowd. I like Brett Weinstein a lot because he's a scientist. So he thinks of things from a scientific perspective. And he uh, is very careful with his words. So he's a very good observer because he's a scientist, even though he believes in evolution, but whatever. Uh, and he's very, uh, is very careful with his words. So I appreciate that. And he spent a long time, he spent like a decade of his life in the Darien Gap. We've all heard of the Darien Gap by now. The Darien Gap. So he's, he's spent a ton of time here studying bats, so he's very familiar with the Daring Gap. And then he went back to the Daring Gap to observe now what's happening with the migrants that are coming our way. So the Daring Gap is this region of Panama. It's between Panama and Colombia. 
and it's just this thick jungle. It is impenetrable. It's so impenetrable that no one goes through the you can't you can't go through the whole thing. That's how thick it is. So the smugglers take people from this this tip of uh, northern tip of Colombia. This is a little northern tip of Colombia, and they take people on a boat to just the last section of the jungle because it's so impossible you can't make it through. So you have to skip over a lot of it, and they make just the now even this last little part is super dangerous. And there's two different routes. You can either take the two-day route, which is very dangerous, or the five-day route, which is less dangerous, but you're there for five days, so that's its own danger. Now, I didn't know about this, but uh, the other day we were talking to a guy who, who did the whole journey. I think Brett Weinstein just went to a couple different places, but th- we're going to ta- talk to this guy on, uh, I think, tomorrow at 8 o'clock. The guy who did the whole journey landed in Ecuador and went the whole way all the way to the Texas border. And when we were t- talking about that, I, I just wanted to get an idea of, of how far that is. I don't know how many miles it is. So I put it into Google Maps. I put in uh, Quito, Ecuador. You don't need a visa to land in Ecuador. That's why all the illegal immigrants from around the world, they go to Ecuador first. So uh, I typed in Quito, Ecuador to, to Dallas, Texas, or Eagle Pass, Texas. And Google said, no results. <laughs> I said, no results? What do you mean there's no results? It's got to be roads. How do you mean there's no results? Oh, like, oh, there's literally no road. The roads stop. There's something called at the Darien Gap. The roads stop at the Darien Gap. There's something called the Pan-American Highway. I never heard of this thing before. It's a network of roads that goes from the very northern tip of Alaska all the way down to the southernest tip of South America. And you can, you can stay on a road the whole way except for a broken 60-mile stretch known as the Darien Gap. It, you just can't, you can't get through it. There's no roads. So it's a brutal journey. And no one knows how many people just die along the way. So Brent Weinstein goes to the Darien Gap. And he's a scientist, so he observes. And he made the observation that this is both a migration and an invasion. What do you mean? It is indeed a massive movement of people from Ecuador and other places along the way. And Venezuela, right? I guess Ecuador should be for people coming in from around the world. And that's my point. So, so that they, uh, people from around the world go to Ecuador. That's where it starts. But if you're just from Venezuela, you just start in Venezuela. So you definitely have a migration of people, no doubt. But it's more than just that. So he went to these different transit camps along the route. There's people from all over the world. Here's what he observed. The first big lie is that these people are seeking political asylum. They're not. They're fleeing economic collapse. And that's not a reason for asylum in the United States. In the United States, there's five reasons you can be granted asylum. It's if you're persecuted in your home country because of your race, religion, nationality, a specific social group, or your political opinion. It is like if you're like a freedom fighter. That's not, there's no economic, there's no such thing as economic asylum is not a thing. And the reason we don't have economic asylum in America is because if we take in people from the third world to help their economic condition, we are robbing Americans of our economic well-being. And how can, how can 
someone else be entitled to that that, that doesn't that doesn't drive so, so economic asylum is specifically not a thing but that's exactly what at best these people are okay that like that's fine and we've talked about that before okay second big lie this is not organic this is entirely an organized operation there's a there's a organized chain led by the united nations it's the iom what's iom stand for international organization for migration the un international organization for migration and all of these United States NGOs, non-government organizations, which, by the way, in this new border bill, we give $2.3 billion to. This is a completely organized and controlled operation. The IOM at the UN believes that migration is inherently good. So that they are pro-migration no matter what and where at all times. So the UN, with our money, is paying for this. The, the UN IOM will never say, hey, migrant, why don't you just hang out in Panama for it? Why don't you live in Nicaragua? But they, they'll never do that. They will always help people move wherever they want to go, and that happens to be the United States of America. And the countries where this is happening, they don't care as long as people keep going. Just keep on moving. Like Panama doesn't care. If, if they stayed in Panama, they would. But as long as you're moving through, like come on through. Just get out of here. But this is the biggest thing to know. This is all coordinated and organized third point and this is the biggest one the chinese know exactly what they're doing so brett weinstein goes to one camp in particular so he's going to all these camps and it's all different types of people from all around the world and then he goes to this one area this one camp it's almost entirely chinese and the panamanians who are like guarding this they wouldn't let anyone go into this area huh outside of the San Vicente camp, the Chinese migrants are, um, you can interact with them. There are a couple of shops where they go to buy water or snacks or whatever. And so you can interact with them at those places. They are the opposite of forthcoming. They have no interest in talking to outsiders. And I've been to dangerous places before. I've been to places where people fear their government and can't talk to you because they feel it's not safe. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt like people who did not want to share information because it would be a mistake to do so. And what's more, there was an incident where Michael, who has lived in China, he's been all over the world, and he started up or tried to start up a conversation with uh, a guy who claimed to be from Korea and Michael tripped him up and got him to speak Chinese and then there was uproarious laughter at the fact um, that he had tried to pull this caper on Michael so it is not a friendly migration these uh, Chinese folks who are overwhelmingly male military age. There are women present. I realized only this morning that in thinking back, I saw few, if any, children in the Chinese migration. They were everywhere in the other places we visited, but they were not present, as far as I remember, in the, in the San Vicente camp. So what I 
have pieced together, and this is a place where I'm going to speculate. This is a hypothesis. This is not a conclusion. But what I began to suspect was that the Chinese migration is actually being cloaked by the economic migration coming from South America. And that that um, is consistent with the observation that it has some different motivation. Now, I learned from Michael that the Chinese migrants in the San Vicente camp largely bypassed the Darien. They, because they have money, they, they can go by boat and they can skip most of the peril of the Darien Gap. And uh, in any case, it's a very different phenomenon. And to see it housed so separately is quite conspicuous. I do not know what the rationale for the U.S. to like, like literally different camps. That there's a camps where just Chinese people are. So the, the Chinese invasion aspect of this looks entirely different than the other people who are migrating, quote unquote migrating, right? Now he's like, listen, of course, China's, you know, a lot of people would want to leave China. That makes sense. But there's this hostility from the Chinese people who are coming here, which you said was very obvious. And of course, the Chinese government is aware that this is happening. No one's going to leave China without China knowing that they're going to Ecuador. <laughs> you know, right? So surely our administration is aware of this, right? The administration must be aware of this. Our administration? Yes. It is, but here's the problem I've been wrestling with. It used to be that it was hard to convince people that our system was deeply corrupt. Back in the days when those of us who were focused on this issue used to talk about campaign finance reform. Right. right? It, was a, it was a problem you know, that you could grapple with. It was of that scale. Now we have, it's like a whole different level of corruption, right? And here's the question that I've never heard a good answer to. What stops our enemies internationally from buying influence over our system in the same way that corporations do and did. Hmm. I can't think of anything and I've never heard Patriotism? <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't think there is any such safeguard. And if there is such a safeguard, I would like to know how often it has been triggered. Certainly our enemies will have noticed that we have a system that's pay for play. And it's certainly, I mean, it's perfectly in keeping with Sun Tzu, at the very least, it would be far cheaper, easier, safer from their perspective to um, persuade us to harm ourselves than to go to war with us. Mm. So mm. again, I don't know. I'm, I'm a biologist. I'm, you know, this is not my... Well, you're an observer of things. That's what the study I... of biology is, right? It is, and unfortunately, this is the most parsimonious explanation for what I've seen now, is that somebody has persuaded us to um, endorse a policy that is decidedly not in our interest. And I will also say that um, I've become aware in the process of doing this that the Chinese have a, a rather famous plan for the world called the Belt and Road Initiative. Yes. Um, in which they have scoped out where the resources are and how they're to get from one place to another. What 
many people who know about the Belt and Road Initiative don't know is that they have also, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative is largely about Africa and Asia. But apparently there's been a considerable amount of thinking in China about how Belt and Road would work in the new world as well. And And it's in full operation. I mean, St. Croix, which is an American protectorate, St. Croix next to, you know, it's American Virgin Islands. Its road system is built by China. There you go. And there's an awful lot of investment in Panama. And there is certainly talk in China about opening the Darien Gap. Which... Opening it. Come. There is a massive bridge that's being built on the southern portion of the Darien Gap. Big, huge steel and concrete highway bridge that's being built. Why? Either they're building a giant bridge there for agricultural reasons to make it easier to get resources out of the jungle or they're putting it there to make it easier for people to get through the jungle. And or it's a piece of military infrastructure, which is what all these Belt and Road Initiative projects really are all around the world, including in Latin America and South America. If that was too coy for you, China is building a massive highway through the Darien Gap. Okay. Uh, Here's where Tucker and Brett Weinstein are talking about these illegal immigrants and, and joining the United States military which is a plan that Dick Durbin talked about in the Senate floor. We talked about the need to have illegal immigrants join our military. What what does that make you think? Well, this makes me think back to the COVID crisis and some thoughts that I was developing then about the insanity of throwing highly trained people in many cases out of the U.S. military for refusing to take the so-called vaccines. Now, my sense at the time was that that likely had the purpose of getting rid of the kinds of people who refuse moral orders. That's right. And that it created a much Mm. more compliant force. Now, what happens if migrants are given citizenship in exchange for military service in the U.S. military? That seems to create a major hazard because the perverse incentives for a migrant and the lack of allegiance to fundamental American values means that that would be just the kind of force that could be used to impose tyranny on other Americans because because they would have, you know, no history with us that would cause them to think twice. We've seen this before with the Roman legions. that's exactly my conclusion. Um, does that sound like a crazy conclusion? Uh, I think we have to stop punishing ourselves for considering things that once seemed crazy. That the pattern of recent <laughs> history. I'm sorry, can I, I want to repeat that. I think we have to stop punishing ourselves for considering things that once seemed crazy. Navy SEAL friend of mine left the teams because of... Uh... The vaccine mandate. Uh, play one last clip here. We'll take a break. So 
China has this huge amount of surplus males because of their one-child policy. They had, what, 30, 40 years of one-child policy. Started because, oh, there's too many people here, right? So you can only have one kid, and then uh, someone would have a daughter, and they'd kill the girl because they just wanted a son, right? So there's 100, they say, there's 104 males for every 100 women. You know, how can we really know the number? It could be much worse than that. So what does that mean for us? <laughs> because I, we've heard that before. We've heard about excess males. Everyone's heard one child policy, right? But like, whatever, bad, bad idea, China, haha, you're stupid. Uh, what does that mean for us? One child policy. Now, here's the part that I uh, suddenly realized as soon as he reminded me of that. I wrote an essay years ago about the one-child policy and the paradox of a heavy bias in favor of males. And the reason that this is a paradox is that there's a principle in evolution well understood. It's the result of the work of a guy named Ronald Fisher. And what Fisher realized was that although males and females can be very different in how many offspring they produce, and because a male could produce thousands of offspring in a lifetime and a female if we're talking about humans, could I think the maximum is something impressive like 60. But um, nonetheless, because males can produce a lot more, it seems that it might be evolutionarily advantageous to be one. But it's not because for every overperforming male, there's an underperforming male or at least one. And the result is that sex ratios, no matter how different males and females are in their maximum reproductive capacity, they tend to default to one to one. If you have a society that has too many females, you should produce a male. And if you have a society with too many males, you should produce a female, which tends to balance these things out. That logic should have applied to China. The fact is there were lots of excess males. And if you put yourself in the mindset of a Chinese person having a child, if there are too many males, you should want to produce a female. A male is very unlikely to find a mate. A female is certain to find one. And what's more, she has her pick of the litter. Yes. So that logic should have caused the sex ratio to return to 50-50, and yet it did not, which caused me all those years ago when I wrote this piece to wonder if there wasn't another evolutionary force in play. If evolution did not have a mechanism for producing armies, that when a, a country was in a position to expand that producing excess males does pay off at a lineage level. That excess males who have no reproductive prospects at home become an effective weapon against neighboring populations. So I can't believe that that did not occur to me as I was um, preparing for this trip, but uh, it has occurred to me now. I guess it didn't occur to me because when I wrote that all those years ago, I was expecting to see evidence that this was turning into a military force and I didn't see it. So I stopped thinking about it. Um, but now I wonder if that isn't exactly right. And if what happened is that um, a male biased population in China was produced as a weapon. And if that weapon is now being deployed. So they have in China millions of excess males with nothing to do. And here in America, we have 78% of our young men are ineligible for military service. And now the Navy just last week, two weeks ago, started to allow people without high school diplomas to join. All right, so I want to play all that so we really know what's at stake here and 
what's really going on, what this invasion really is. There's different, it's, it's the whole spectrum, I'm sure. I'm sure there are there, the, the poor, high, uh, tired, huddled masses. And then there's Venezuelans who are here to pickpocket women on the streets of New York. The NYPD just did a search warrant yesterday. They arrested six illegal immigrants who uh, pickpocketed. They know of 62 women, stole their phones, used their Apple Pay, um, shipped the phones back to Colombia. That's the scheme. So there's, there's that. Uh, there's the, the unintended consequences of completely changing our country and the cultural makeup of our country and who we are and all that and that internal erosion that happens uh, from that. But then there's also, on the other end of the spectrum, a full-on, intentional, purposeful Chinese invasion of our country. We talked to Tim Kennedy yesterday. Tim Kennedy, the MMA guy, also the Green Beret and Sniper. And uh, you go to thefirsttv.com and you can watch that, that section of our interview yesterday where he talked about how much havoc so few people could, could cause. What just a few properly pro- placed saboteurs could do to our infrastructure. And I, I love this line is a bit, a bit haunting that Brett Weinstein said is, um, uh, I forgot the line. What was the line? The line was, um, I'll have to go back and find a second now. Sorry, I guess it wasn't hunting enough. Uh, but think about this. Oh, oh, perfectly in line with with the teachings of Sun Tzu. That's what this is. This is perfectly in line with the teachings of Sun Tzu. That the, the best way to win is to win without even a fight. Do everything you can to avoid the fight. Win. <laughs> don't 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 lose and don't give up and don't not fight. But if you can win without fighting. That's the best way to do it. And that's what China's doing, of course. Let me stop there. You can let that sink in for a minute. 866-95-PATRIOT. But that's what this is. So when you're, when you're against this immigration, but well, this is why I wanted to play this here. And take this time. We took a half an hour doing this. It's important. Because it's not, I'm against the immigration bill because I don't like brown people or whatever they want to uh, label you as. And put this, that's not what this is. It's we have to stop a military invasion against our country. Oh, but we can let uh, 5,000 in a day, right? Here's the great senator from Utah who's been leading the charge against this terrible immigration bill in D.C., reading it and feverishly tweeting out all the horrible parts of it. So he's leading the effort, and it looks like this thing is dead, which is beautiful. So let's talk to Senator Mike Lee. Senator, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. It's my honor. So we um, there's lots to talk about here. You, you've uncovered uh, a ton, and I want to encourage everyone to go to your Twitter and uh, your website where, where you list out the dirty does and some of the worst of the worst. Uh, we've gone over a lot of it and we've heard a lot of it by now. What is one thing in there, one of the many, that you're just aghast at? You're just like, wow, how could they have put this in here? All right, so first of all, I, I'm, I'm very confused by why they thought it was a good thing to put this border emergency authority in there. 
because right at first it sounds like, and it was sold as a good thing. It was sold as something that would sort of replicate Title 42, but without any requirement of a public health issue like a pandemic. Uh, and so what they, what they in fact did was not that helpful. Not only not that helpful, but it, it appears to be entirely smoke and mirrors at best and inviting more illegal immigration at worst. So the idea that you're going to not create the authority to, quote, unquote, shut down the border, to invoke this authority, you can't even do it as a discretionary act until they've got 4,000 migrant encounters per day. And then it doesn't become mandatory. It doesn't become shall language. You shall shut down the border under this border emergency authority until it gets to 5,000 a day is itself perplexing. Then you get to the fact that, well, we're going to limit the number of days a year in which it can be invoked. 270 in the first year, uh, 235 in the second, 180 days in the third year. You add all of that to the fact that the president and the Homeland Security Secretary can, as a matter of their own discretion, wave out uh, a lot of these days. And you get to the point where I'm not sure that it does anything other than appearing to provide some means by which you can secure the border. And in fact, it does nothing, nothing except perhaps uh, cause the drug cartels smuggling human traffic into this country and along with it enough fentanyl to kill every American multiple times. Uh, you're going to cause them to schedule their shipments of people. This is horrible, especially because it's billed as something that would help fix the problem. Uh, if, I, if I'm reading one of the parts of your bill correctly, or the bill, excuse me, if I'm reading one of the parts of the bill correctly that you highlighted, um, it says that if you make it 100 miles inland or you've been here for 14 days, then you're not counted towards that 5,000 anyway. So there's so many ways yeah, to get yeah. around that goofy 5,000. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, you know, the, the bill sponsors are complaining about the fact that a lot of us, people like me, have said we're going to need at least two or three weeks to read this before you bring this up for a vote. We did argue that. I still argue that. I still believe that. Uh, they're now complaining that uh, within the first few hours of the bill's release, we started trashing it. Yes, we started trashing it because we saw some severe problems with it, and we still do see them. But the fact that we see these problems doesn't mean that there aren't other problems. I find little Easter eggs like what you just described everywhere in this. All kinds of things, just things buried deep within the woodwork of this bill, things that would make it less and less significant every day. So, you know... The, 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 the period that this border shutdown is mandatory uh, uh, it decreases. You know, the, again, the, the first 90 days are mandatory in year two. The first 75 days are mandatory in year three. It's only the first 60 days that are are, are mandatory. Uh, it, every single time you see this, you see little exceptions, like the president being able to reopen the border anytime he deems it in the national interest to temporarily suspend the border emergency authority for up to 45 days. That's a problem. Isn't it something, though, Senator? Isn't something 
better than nothing. You guys, you Republicans say you want to shut down the or you want to control the border. This is a way to do it. It's better than nothing, right? If it were more likely to secure the border, it would be worth serious consideration. I still can't find what, if anything, in here really makes the border more secure. And you, you always have to balance uh, what you have now against what could be passed into law. And I, I, I can't see where this is anywhere worth it, even before you get to the fact that we're being asked to, uh, to spend a whole bunch of additional money, you know, another $60 billion or so uh, on Ukraine, in addition to the remaining uh, uh, $40, $50 billion on other things. And so, I, you know, look, I'm, I've long been inspired by the words of Calvin Coolidge, who when he and his father were serving in adjacent state legislatures, he wrote a letter to his father in which he said it's an important uh, part of the lawmakers. That, it's important that lawmakers pass good bills and stop bad bills. They're both important, but as between the two, the far more important is the second. Because a, a good bill can always be passed later. A bad bill, once it's passed, is very difficult to get rid of. And that's what mm. we've got to worry about here. Yeah, well said. Um, Sean Davis from The Federalist. He said, let this be a lesson to any Republican stupid enough to go out on the limb to do McConnell's dirty work. He will leave you out to dry, then cut off the limb you're standing on to save his own behind. Tell me about the firm. And why would the firm even go about this? And as we're reporting on Breitbart.com right now, you have you have all the insight that even McConnell and Lankford may be even against the very bill that they were promoting here. What What is going on here? Yeah, so uh, what, what I expect this week, and, and this, by the way, is, um, is, is good news for those of us who have concerns with the bill. Uh, but I, I, I'm now expecting that you're going to you're going to see Republicans turn against this, vote against cloture on it in the event that Chuck Schumer brings it up for a vote this week. Uh, you know, a cloture vote is a vote to bring debate to a close. And the first cloture vote you have in proceeding to a, a bill is called cloture on the motion to proceed. It takes 60 votes to get there. And so if uh, all you need are, are for 41 senators to oppose cloture and you can block 60, okay. it's looking increasingly likely that most, possibly even all Republicans, will oppose cloture, in, including uh, including Senator McConnell and including Senator Lankford. And confusing. You know, we were, we were bracing for impact just a few days ago, and now we're seeing that it's uh, – it's likely not even going to survive that first closure vote. As to your other question, the firm, uh, it has several forms, but the, the form that we're dealing with now is, is uh, known as the law firm of Schumer McConnell. Sometimes uh, it evolves into the, the law firm of Schumer McConnell, Johnson, and Jeffries. Uh, but um, very often you get the top Republican Democrat leader uh, from the Senate sometimes with the assistance of the other two and the other house uh, coming together to put something together, writing a bill in secret and then unleashing it on the American people and their elected lawmakers with only days or sometimes even hours to go before an artificially contrived deadline, a deadline I should add contrived by them 
and then telling them you've got to pass this now because there's an emergency or bad things are going to happen if you don't. It's one of the ways that they get people to vote for things without reading them and get people to vote for things before they or their constituents have had a chance to find out what's in it. That's why I was so panicked the other day when they finally released this. We've been begging for text for like three months, and we finally got it. Once you have it, you don't know how quickly they're going to call it up for a vote. So Uh. I was up late into the night the other night when it came out, uh, finding everything I could about it. Why would McConnell put the senator from Oklahoma on this sort of kamikaze mission? <laughs> like, where? Why was Langford the guy who led the charge for the Republicans? Well, first of all, uh, James Langford is a really hard worker, and he's uh, he, he very much wants to be a team player and wants to do what's right. I think he started out with the very best intentions. He's a well-intentioned individual. And I think he was given unreasonable marching orders by the leader. Uh, for example, we we know that um, even though many, if not most, Republican senators believed and expressed the belief that if we were going to do anything like this, uh, if we were going to try to attach border security language to a Ukraine funding bill, uh, then we had to get something out of it. And one of the only ways to get something out of it is to make sure that the border is actually secured. And uh, the best way to do that would be to tie the release of any Ukraine aid to the accomplishment, to the achievement of certain border security metrics, benchmarks along the way. You know, we're not going to release the money until for a certain period of time, uh, Daily migrant encounters have been reduced down to like 500, which is the number that the Department of Homeland Security has given us for the number that they can handle, such that they don't find themselves just releasing everything, everyone into the interior of the country with a plane ticket, which makes no sense from the beginning. And yet, in time, we found out that Senator Lankford was instructed by Leader McConnell not to even put that on the table. That wasn't even an option. I, I, I literally struggled to understand that. Mm. And so little by little, this guy continued to try to follow the orders that he had. And when it's one of the problems with having someone negotiate on behalf of 49 people, but then unable, unwilling, whatever it was, to share what it was that he was negotiating all along the way. Yes. Then when you stretch that out over three or four months, those people get antsy. And then everybody gets upset when in the end, he's put all this time into it. And because they've been kept in the dark over it, they're really mad when the finished product comes out. That mm-hmm. isn't surprising. This is not how negotiations work. It no. certainly isn't how... The, the principle of being someone else's agent or a representative of, of any group of people should ever work. You don't keep them in the dark like that. Yes. What What is going to happen with Mitch McConnell at the end of this? I don't know. I mean, we'll see how he handles this all, along the way. Um, I don't know. Uh, this is, to put it mildly, very, very frustrating. Um, look, it's important for 
senators to understand that we are we all work for our respective states, our respective voters in our various states. He's not he's not our boss. He has a specialized role, which is to represent us on the floor and our mm-hmm. interests. But when somebody does this, somebody attacks us, somebody has the Wall Street Journal publish editorials um, many weeks, by the way, before the bill text was even released to the public, saying that any Republican who votes votes against the still secret, yet to be re- then yet to be released bill, is trying to score cheap political points at the expense of American national security. Somebody who does that goes to war with his the the people who elected him like that. Um, that's kind of an issue, especially in a tight body like that, with a, a narrow role that he's got. It, that is deeply troubling. We had someone call in yesterday. It said Slater, I'm going to put five dollars on red caving. Uh, we've seen that before, Senator, many times. Uh, but I'm encouraged that there seems to be so much vehemence, <laughs> vehement outrage from from you and other Republicans that it looks like this thing may die. So I, I, I'm encouraged by that. And, and correct me if, I'm, if I should not be, but I'm still then confused how the leader could have missed this so badly that, that he, he's, he was so off on how it would be received by either the American people or our senators. How, how could he have missed it so much? Well, over time, the firm, as I've described it moments ago, mm-hmm. uh, the, the firm has had a lot of successes in the, the, the strategy that I mentioned, where you release text late in the game against an artificially contrived deadline, a con- deadline contrived by the firm. Um, a lot of stuff passes that way. And every time the firm does that and it succeeds, the firm gets more powerful. And so it, it becomes very attempting, very alluring. So um, I, I, I suspect that's how one gets sort of locked into that. Mm. If only there was a way to break up the firm. If only, if only there were a mechanism, Senator. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. Um, one last question for you, Senator. Uh, who writes this thing? Because as I have visions of you reading it, I cannot even in my imagination imagine uh, Senator Schumer sitting down and writing it. You, you speak on your website, again, some of the worst parts of it. And one of the parts says that uh, once encounters are 75% of the number that caused the border to shut down, then the border can reopen. So if it was 10,000, the immigrants came across, you only need 7,500 in order to reopen it. Like there's no way Chuck Schumer like sat down and wrote that. So who, who makes this monstrosity? Who puts it to paper? Okay, so as, as far as the, the pen to paper stuff, coming up with the words themselves and all the cross-referencing, uh, we, we have in the Senate and um, an office of legislative counsel and it's staffed with lawyers whose job it is uh, uh, to, to draft out the text and make sure that all the cross references are right and everything like that. They, they do that work, but a small handful of people, I, I think in this, the primary negotiators were James Lankford, Kirsten Cinema, and Chris Murphy, at least on the border security part of it, the Ukraine, uh, 
funding and the other funding in the appropriation side was handled by a different set of people. But th- those were the three involved in the border bill. My understanding is that they would sit in a room and they would come up with basic concepts of what they wanted to do. They would have drafts prepared by the Office of Legislative Council, then they'd bring those back together, review them. Uh, not being in the room, uh, I, I'm not sure much more than that, but that's roughly how it works. I just wonder how many, how much often the the writers of like the senators themselves look at the bill after and they're like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> like we didn't mean to have that in there. Or, or like, how much can we even trust the people who are putting it to paper uh, that, that that was the intent of even the people who were negotiating it? Not that I'm giving the, the, the top senators an out, but uh, it's just such a monstrosity. Um, how the sausage is made is uh, not pretty. Um, what's your yeah. final takeaway, Senator, on, on what's next and what we, the American people, should do moving forward? Look, um, it's important for the American people to watch anytime laws being made, especially anytime laws being made in a manner that is coming to the forefront um, only a little at a time, sort of a trickle of release of details, but no text. When you don't see text coming out and you don't see that text going through something akin to a regular process, a full regular process would involve going through committee. Uh, the committee of jurisdiction on this was the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I'll note that the three negotiators on the immigration stuff, not one of them is a member of the Judiciary Committee. So not only did it go th- not go through that committee, didn't have a single member on that committee. Brilliant. And by the way, the last time we had a major immigration law overhaul in this country uh, attempted um, about 10 years ago, it went through the Judiciary Committee. We had a markup, a typical markup where you uh, where you debate the individual provisions and ultimately vote on amendments and then vote on the final bill. Usually will take an hour, two hours, three hours. This one took four weeks. And so the, the idea that they were going to try to to release this Sunday night and pass it this week is absolutely crazy. That's what we should watch for. When they do yes. stuff like that, whether it's through a spending bill or a, a substantive law provision bill like this, it's deeply concerning. This is a great example, though, of how the American people can stand up to that and how their voices uh, can be heard and we can stop them. Yeah, when that trickle came out of the 5,000, we were told it was Russian disinformation and internet rumors. And turned out to be even worse exactly. than we originally thought. Exactly. I lied, Senator. This, this, I think, is the most important question because I think the Democrats have the upper hand here. Uh, even if this doesn't pass, you do your job and stop this thing. The Democrats still have the talking point of you Republicans don't want to c- control the border. We're, we now are the control the border party and you don't want to do anything to Donald Trump's benefit so it can be an issue. You're the ones who want to hurt America. We are trying to solve the problem and you're not. How do you respond to that, Senator? Yeah, that's just absurd. Look, the existing body of legislative authority, the existing body of law uh, in the immigration context is more than sufficient. It's not perfect by any means. It's got a lot of flaws, a lot of things I would love to change about it. But the, the these border surges, the humanitarian and law of order crisis unfolding on our southern border, which is unlike anything we've ever seen, this is not the product of a lack of adequate legislative authority. Not at all. Donald Trump had exactly the same laws on the book books when he secured the border. Even before we got to Title 42, he, he had the same laws on the books 
and brought the border uh, under control with those laws. This is a defiant refusal on the part of this administration to secure the border. And for people who believe this narrative that now the polls have flipped, the, the polarity has flipped, and the Democrats are now the border of, of uh, the, the party of border control, it's absolute nonsense. It could not be farther from the truth. It's a beautiful it's just work like of art. Dorothy and her, and her ruby slippers, they've had yeah. that authority all along. They just haven't used it. Yeah, it's a work of art that they're, they're trying it. I think they'll get away with it. Um, but not if we're paying attention. Based Mike Lee is the, the account to follow on Twitter. Uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Senator, we are very grateful. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Have a wonderful day. Uh, leading the charge there in D.C. against this bill. Uh, I just, if I can just express the... like, like I've, I've never seen a bill that was presented in D.C., that was that was like put put out there that was so so vehemently swatted down swat's not even strong enough like so struck down that the the, the result is i don't think you should be leader of the leader of the senate anymore or, or i guess uh, mitch mcconnell's leader of the minority but I, I don't think you should be in charge of the party like you you have to go mitch, like that's how bad this bill is and and again I'm encouraged by how vehement the opposition was. And that started, of course, with you. And honestly, that starts with Breitbart.com because where else in the media <laughs> are they against this bill? And Mike Lee's leading the charge over there. I'm American made. I got American We will open up our topics tomorrow to more than just the border, but I do want to talk to the guy who made this 40-minute documentary. He did. We talked about him the other day. He did the whole journey from Ecuador to Texas, like immersed with the with the illegal immigrants the whole way on the train in the jungle. The whole thing is incredible. Um, so we got to talk to this guy. So we'll do that tomorrow at eight o'clock. Hope to see you there. Oh,